Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Welcome to 2022, everybody. Even if I say the sports calendar doesn't reset till after the Super Bowl. It's a new year, and BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the best wagering action in the new year. You can sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using the promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, when you sign up with the link in the description to this episode. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, everybody, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of Wired Up. This is Wired Up episode 102. Here on the Take It Easy podcast, here on the Believe Podcast Network. Welcome in, everybody. I hope you all are having a fantabulous weekend or weekday, whenever it is you're listening. By my count, it's Saturday night on the 15th. This podcast drops on January 16th. Very simple podcast here. The creation of Wired Up was originally to talk about Saturday football things that end up not being relevant by the time we get to Sunday. We usually stop wired up. At some point, I think after the Super Bowl, we kind of lose interest a little bit. It becomes another version of the show. As Scott Hansen says on the Red Zone, though, we were built for days like this. So real simple. We're going to talk about Las Vegas and Cincinnati, and we're going to talk about Buffalo and New England, and that is going to be our entire wired up here today because they're is so much fascinating going on in the NFL because we now are at the point of the season where we have legitimate stakes and storylines. You know, the NFL regular season gets a bit monotonous, and even still, we find a way to create hundreds of hours of content around the regular season of the NFL, and as it becomes less relevant and less relevant because one-game sample sizes don't matter even in that sport, even if that sport matters more than one-game sample sizes in other sports... It slowly becomes monotonous, and over four months, we can skip a football Sunday or two here and there, and we still build content out of it, and a lot of our opinions are formulated because we've seen enough sample sizes to conclude some things, but now we have stakes and storylines around winner-go-home playoff games, so it's really, really interesting because this is how we formulate opinions for the entire season is from representative sample sizes with real stakes around playoff games, which is my lead-in to the Buffalo Bills and New England Patriots talk. Yes, the Bills-Patriots game was not as exciting as the, uh, or was not as close, I should say, as the Las Vegas-Cincinnati game, but I actually found that game more enticing and more interesting because I know Las Vegas and Cincinnati don't belong where they were. It was a 5-4 matchup in the AFC because the Raiders got a bunch of crazy tiebreakers here and there, and they happened to get the Browns with Nick Mullins and have a crazy comeback, and Derek Carr leading a crazy comeback against the Colts, and they won five games to end the season while not scoring more than 20 points in four of them. 
It's just a weird way that it worked out for the Raiders to get to the playoffs. They were really worse than the Colts, worse than the Chargers, worse than uh, the Patriots, who were a seed lower than them. The Raiders were really like the eighth or ninth best team in the AFC, and the Bengals might have gotten that last wild card spot in the AFC, but also probably should have been below the Baltimore Ravens if Lamar Jackson is healthy. They're like the sixth best team in the AFC. So that game was close, interesting, we'll talk about it, but the thing that's fascinating about Buffalo and New England is that game was the one that I billed as the game of the weekend, the one I was more interested in watching than anything else, and Buffalo beat the living shit out of the New England Patriots. We talked about how In the game they played four weeks ago, the New England Patriots did not force a punt of the Buffalo Bills. It was the first time in the history of Belichick's Patriots that they did not force a punt of their opponent. In the entire 20 years Bill Belichick's been the coach of the Patriots, never forced a punt. Now you could argue this is one of the least talented Belichick teams of the last 20 years, to which you have a very legitimate argument for the fact that it would be this team versus all the other ones except for maybe last year. The point being, Buffalo absolutely tranced the New England Patriots four weeks ago or three weeks ago in the regular season. And coming in, I thought Buffalo would be favored, but nobody saw Buffalo going first drive of the game. Eight plays, or sorry, 10 plays, 75 yards, touchdown, five minutes. Next drive, eight plays, 80 yards, touchdown, five minutes. They get the ball back, they go down the field, Devin Singletary runs in a touchdown, 20-0, to zero, get the ball back, Stephon Diggs, deep ball over Joan Williams, t- gets the ball down to the 20-yard line with a 50-yard play, touchdown Emmanuel Sanders, or not Emmanuel Sanders, I think that was the Gabriel Davis one, 27-0, and then go to the half, 27-3. And then right out the gate at halftime, Emmanuel Sanders gets a touchdown over Joan Williams for 40 yards. Buffalo 33-3 to was the score at the very, very start of the quarter. And by the way, they kept kicking ass. Micah Hyde almost had a pick six if not for getting tripped up by his own teammate and would have made it 47-10 to with 10 minutes left to go. Like, Buffalo destroyed the New England Patriots, even if you knew that the Buffalo Bills were a better team than the Patriots, which obviously the Buffalo Bills were a better team than the Patriots. I'd been saying for 10 weeks, the Patriots' downfall will be low upside offense when they play a strong offensive team that can score points at the same rate as them. And lo and behold, that was exactly what happened. Now, would they have lost to an even lesser offense than the Buffalo Bills? Yes, they would have. But what interesting point this brings up is after and we don't do this very often but it's something that we overlooked throughout the season and a lot of the playoffs is clicking at the right times Tampa Bay last year when they won the Super Bowl was not the best team in the NFL throughout the regular season it was when injuries piled up for other teams and they got to the playoffs and capitalized on opportunities Tampa happened to win the championship because they peaked at the right time and won 10 straight games to end the season Where I'm going with this is, you all know I am the Kansas City Chief guy. Patrick Mahomes is in the cover art of our podcast because I love his game so, so much. The Buffalo Bills are going to the Super Bowl. The Buffalo Bills 
are going to make it to the Super Bowl. And this might be like a, a spur of the moment reaction thing, but here's the thing that I realized we all overlooked about the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills still had a top five offense in the NFL. I had made the comments about them being a one-dimensional offense throughout the season because they don't have even like a top 20 running back in the NFL or top 25 running back. They barely have a starting caliber running back in Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, and they really do need to address the running back position to be a totally unstoppable offense. Buffalo still finished fifth in offense this year in the NFL and was the 11th best rushing offense in the NFL. And a big part of that is Josh Allen. The reason Buffalo is going to be, if not winning the AFC East every year for the next five years, if not that, like four of the next five, the reason that's going to be the case is because Josh Allen is really freaking good at football. And they have one of the best receiving cores in the NFL. And they have a defense that has a super strong... Micah Hyde, two picks in this game. He's an all-pro player. I forgot made the all-pro team. Micah Hyde. Tredavious White will come back for them on defense. Like, Buffalo had a defense that early in the year was number one in DVOA. They fell off towards the back end of the season. But still, top 10 defense, top 5 offense, top 3 offense, you could argue, in the NFL. That team is going to continue to be good and they have the special franchise quarterback. And so Buffalo was a team that everyone overlooked throughout the year because Buffalo lost a lot of weird one-score games. But Buffalo's offense was always putting up points from the past, like, eight weeks of the season. Buffalo's offense was doing the... Buffalo Bills offense was scoring basically at will after the Jaguars game, which was kind of where everyone kind of signaled the red flag on Buffalo. Buffalo scored 45 points. Then they had the terrible game against the Colts, 31 points, the snow game against the Patriots, which detracted overtime loss to the Bucks, 21 points, 31 points, 33 points, 29 points, 27 points. And they pulled their starters at halftime. They early in the season, 38 points, 40 points, 43 points, 35 points. Like Buffalo's offense was always really, really good. It's just wasn't as good as last year's Buffalo Bills offense. And there's no shame in that. The Buffalo Bills offense was number two in the NFL last year. It was good enough to make it to the AFC championship game. The Buffalo Bills were an elite team in the NFL last season, and now this is the second year with that core of a team that now, I mean, as much as people say like the playoff experience thing, the playoff experience part matters to Buffalo because they are going up against lesser competition than they played last year. Baltimore is not in the playoffs. They didn't have to play the Chargers in their first playoff game. Now, they did have to play New England, who is obviously as good, if not better, than the Chargers, but they probably should have played New England in the divisional round. This should have been a divisional round matchup between the Buffalo Bills and the New England Patriots. Those are two of the four best teams in the AFC. So they should have had to play the Chargers. They should have had to play the New England Patriots. And then they should have had to play the Kansas City Chiefs again. And that team can go toe-to-toe with Kansas City and has a super-duper high upside offense that, against a subpar Chiefs defense this year, can score a ridiculously large amount of points. If we want to play the one-game sample size thing with the Buffalo Bills, I think back to last year's playoff game against the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC Championship, where they scored 
zero points in the first seven drives of the game, and the only points they scored were off of a muffed punt that got them field positioning for first and goal. Buffalo didn't have a great game because the Patri- or the Chiefs just happened to have an amazing defensive game. Frank Clark, two and a half sacks. Josh Allen threw an interception early on in the game, and the Chiefs were just up by so much that Buffalo had to just do the throw the ball over the yard thing, and the Chiefs could go into prevent defense. And Buffalo lost a weird one-game sample size against Kansas City that made everyone look and say that team is a step behind the Kansas City Chiefs. But this year's Kansas City Chiefs team defensively, and even to a certain extent offensively, even if the Chiefs still have one of the top offenses in the NFL, this year's Chiefs team is not last is not last year's Chiefs team. And we've known that all the way through. There is no Baltimore this year. There is no Indianapolis Colts equivalent. Yeah, the Patriots were pretty good, but again, the, the, the Bills should have gone through three difficult playoff games to get to the Super Bowl. And they still might. You know, they have to play Kansas City now in the second round. And if they win that, they'll get a walk-through AFC championship against either Cincinnati or the Titans which I can't believe that either Cincinnati or the Titans are going to make it to the AFC Championship this year. But this year was just a weird year where it looked like because all the games were close and all the schedule or all the records were pretty close, it looked like it was going to be one of those seasons where there was no real clear front runner in the AFC, but we shouldn't have bailed on our analysis of the Buffalo Bills cuz the Buffalo Bills once they got past that loss to the Patriots where they people were saying, could they miss the playoffs? They went kick-ass. I mean, yes, they played some bad teams. Like, no question, they played bad teams. But the overwhelming point is Buffalo Bills, down the home stretch of the season, they went kick-ass. After losing the Patriots game, they go kick-ass against the Panthers, go to overtime against the Buccaneers, who are also an elite team, kick-ass against the Patriots, kick-ass against the Falcons, even though Josh Allen threw three interceptions, still won by 14 points, and then kick-ass against the New England Patriots. The Buffalo Bills are good enough to get to the Super Bowl, and we always kind of knew that. I mean, I talked to Blake Jude a few weeks ago about our preseason predictions, and we said, who's the team that can take down the Chiefs? It's the Buffalo Bills. Why is it the Buffalo Bills? Because they have Josh Allen. And this is the thing we're learning about in this playoff format is quarterback is so, so important in the NFL at this point. And you look at the top quarterbacks left, it's Mahomes, it's Josh Allen, And then you go to the NFC side and you obviously have Rodgers and Tom Brady and Matthew Stafford keeping the Rams afloat, whatever they can, and Dak Prescott being in a lower tier. But the Buffalo Bills offense now just needs to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. And honestly, I think they'll do it. I think they can put up points virtually at whim and the Kansas City Chiefs defense is still struggling a good bit. As much as I'm the Mahomes guy, like the Bills are going to make it to the Super Bowl. And this is an interesting point about how this transition works. Because also the the Chiefs have been playing deep into January for four straight years now. And even the Patriots came up at some points because we go through cycles here. Again, if you lined up the four Chiefs teams from the last five years, or the four Chiefs teams from the last four years, if you want to count... 2017's Chiefs also that lost to Marcus Mariota like the Kansas this is probably the weakest of the Kansas City Chiefs teams 
the one that lost to the Patriots in the AFC Championship when Mahomes won MVP, the Super Bowl team, the team last year that was just ridiculously overwhelming, 14-1 and in the regular season, and this year should have been 12 and, or 13-4 and and got the number one seed, but also the AFC that's weaker, they should have still made it out. I'm so freaking excited to watch Buffalo and KC next week because I know it's the AFC Championship game. I know it's in the second round. That's your AFC Championship game. That's the one with all the stakes, and I think Buffalo is going to win. Buffalo is going to probably beat the Kansas City Chiefs next week, and Buffalo is going to go to the Super Bowl. So let's talk about the New England Patriots, because this is a little bit of a sayonara type of podcast for them, and I imagine we'll talk about them more with our wonderful cast of friends here this week, because... Usually what we do in the aftermath of playoff games is talk about the team that's been eliminated because it's the last time to have a season in review for them in the short term, or at least it's hard to talk about the Buffalo Bills or the Cincinnati Bengals more because they're still playing football and we can't do the season in review thing for them. And it's hard to find content previewing games, but so much. So the Patriots thing that I find interesting was New England gets bounced in the wild card game, and New England is now two years removed from Tom Brady and resetting the entire roster now. The, the Patriots walk away with, I believe, a final record between the two seasons of 17 and 17. They are a 500 football team that has not addressed the quarterback position, and like I said, low upside offense came back to bite them. Mac Jones threw two interceptions. Defense had a rough game. 47-10. Fat guys are catching touchdowns for the Buffalo Bills as a way to rub it in on the Patriots. Rub it in on the New England Patriots. And the talent level of the Patriots was always something that we felt like they could overcome to an extent. This season doesn't go down as a failure for the Patriots because the Patriots played to the level of the players they had. New England last year went 7 and 9 and you could argue that that team should have won more games than 7 and 9, but they added a whole bunch of mid-level free agents in free agents uh, mid-level free agents this offseason and improved on most of their positions, like the upgrade from Mac Jones to Cam Newton, very clearly an upgrade. May not have been a huge upgrade, but a slight upgrade. Uh, you bring in the you bring in Matt Judon as an edge rusher, it's an upgrade. You get Donta Hightower back at middle linebacker, not the same Donta Hightower it used to be, but it's a slight upgrade for the New England Patriots. You get Phillips in at safety, slight upgrade. Jalen Mills as a slot corner, not a huge game breaker, but just slight upgrades everywhere for the New England Patriots. That gets you better than the teams that don't make the slight upgrades. And I said at the start of the year that I thought the Patriots would finish as the best non-division winner in the AFC. I feel like that was the case, considering that the Raiders are not better than the Patriots. The Patriots were probably the third or fourth best team in the AFC this year. And that's pretty remarkable, given where they were coming from last year to get to this point and new england loses in the wild card and it's more semantics because again this buffalo new england game should have been a second round matchup if the patriots went to cincinnati this weekend like they would have if they had just beaten the dolphins last week if the patriots beat the dolphins they're the five seed they play the four seed Bengals. 
Patriots probably are favored in that game. It would have been a toss-up who wins. They might still lose anyways because the Bengals are pretty good. If the Patriots had played the Titans, I think the Patriots definitely would have beaten the Titans. The point to it is the Patriots were still a pretty good team this year. And that's pretty good given how we talked about their offense is not good. Like, their offense outperformed expectations, but apart from teams that were tanking, the Patriots probably had one of the worst offenses in the NFL on paper coming into the season. And if you take out the Eagles and you take out the Steelers, who probably don't belong in the playoffs, the Patriots had the second worst offense going into the playoffs of all playoff teams. And the low upside offense was something that was probably going to come back to bite them against the Mahomeses, the Josh Allens, teams that could beat the Patriots. And this, again, these playoffs in the AFC were so matchup dependent. It's weird how the bracket worked out that Cincinnati got, or that Vegas and the Steelers got in instead of the Colts and the Ravens and the Chargers, who all should have been playoff teams this year. And who do you take out? You take out the Raiders, you take out the Steelers, and you could arguably take out the Patriots if you want to get to that point. But overwhelmingly, the point is New England probably should have lost this game even before Buffalo dominated them in the game. Like, we were calling this game a toss-up, and it still felt like there was a chance for a toss-up because there's always in the back of your mind, Belichick's going to have something up his sleeve to take away your best option. But one of the things that we always overestimated with Bill Belichick was that there were always really, really good players able to do the things that were being asked. There's the do-your-job type of players that the Patriots have, but there were always really great, great players on both defense and, of course, Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski and potentially Julian Edelman as a Hall of Fame type on offense. It's really interesting that they got to this point and then it all fell apart. And the thing that I found most fascinating about how the Patriots got here, because we did this uh, a couple years ago now. I, I guess it was still, no, 2020, so it was a couple years ago. We did the podcast analyzing why things had fallen off so much for the Patriots. And a big part of it was the New England Patriots, since 2015, have not drafted a pro bowler in either the first or second rounds of the draft. And one of those draft picks that they had over the past six years, seven years now, if you count 2021 draft, seven years one of those big misses was Joe Juan Williams. And Joe Juan Williams was their second round pick in 2019. He was the next pick after they took Nikhil Harry in the first round. Joe Juan Williams was cut by the Patriots, went to the Denver Broncos for a little bit, and then ended up back on New England as one of these Patriot way type of guys after he ended up getting cut by the Denver Broncos. And Joe Juan Williams was the guy in coverage for the Stephon Diggs catch that set up the 27th, the fourth touchdown of the game for the Patriots, and he was in coverage on the Emmanuel Sanders touchdown that made it 33-3. to Plays that were just like baffled how Belichick defenses allow those to happen. But it does happen when you don't have star players all across the field, and that's the thing that the Patriots couldn't overcome and by the way this is just how the NFL works the Patriots were remarkable in the fact that they found diamonds in the rough all over the place for the past 20 years 
to help build around what they did with Tom Brady. And so the Patriots tinkered around the edges this offseason, and it built a stronger team than what they had last year. But without hitting on that quarterback position, which is the thing Bill Belichick admits, like we, again, take a shot if you're playing the drinking game at home. In the Seth Wickersham book that I worked through, Belichick talked about it's super important to establish the quarterback position for the long run. It's why he was so adamant of keeping Jimmy Garoppolo is because they felt that Jimmy Garoppolo could be a top 10 quarterback with the right level of development. And maybe they think Mac Jones is going to be that too. Mac Jones was a third round grade when he was first coming into the league. And even by the standards of Jimmy Garoppolo, who was there through all the winning seasons and all of the Belichick offensive assistants were still there and Tom Brady was still there. And this was all the winning Patriot ways instead of now the Patriots of not putting him in the most super position to succeed, especially with skill position players and a star run. I'm not star running back. (laughs) Rob Gronkowski also playing on your team, one of the great tight ends of all time. It's It makes it just a little bit more difficult to develop a quarterback when you don't have talented players surrounding them. And especially so when you look at Mac Jones and know that guy does not have the physical gifts of a first-round, once-in-a-generation quarterback. Obviously, Tom Brady didn't have that either. But Tom Brady is an anomaly that has never been able to be replicated. The closest thing to it is Kirk Cousins, and even Kirk Cousins is not a top 10 quarterback by the standards of the NFL. And Mac Jones, again, for doing the the short-term analysis, they did not have a talented offense this year. Mac Jones walks away after his rookie season, 22 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, and then we can add in the two from this game today, so 25 24 touchdowns, 15 interceptions on the season, quarterback rating of 92, completion percentage 67%, middle of the road season for Mac Jones, which is fine. Mac Jones will have more time to develop. It's just because we know the physical gifts aren't there, there's only so much of a ceiling for Mac Jones, the same way there was only so much of a ceiling for Jimmy Garoppolo, and there was only so much of a ceiling for this Patriots team this year that ultimately, like I said, loses in the wild card game and loses in embarrassing fashion. So it'll look worse when we look back in the history books and forget about this season. Because, again, tell me how the 2018 Carolina Panthers did. Like, we remember how the Panthers did this year, but we don't remember how the Panthers did four years ago because seasons pass and time passes and that information becomes less relevant. So when we look back and see Patriots lose wildcard game to Buffalo by 30 points, 47-17, it'll look a whole lot worse. But remember that the Patriots were probably the fourth best team in the AFC this year and should have played Buffalo if we could, you know, re- if we could have a more equal representation of the playoffs this year. The Patriots probably should have gone played Buffalo in the divisional round, lost to Buffalo, and Buffalo would play Kansas City in the AFC Championship game. Instead, we're doing it in reverse because of how the seeds worked this year and tiebreakers worked, where Patriots played Buffalo in the wild card, Buffalo plays the Chiefs in the divisional round, and then the winner of that game, which I think now might be Buffalo, is going to go to is going to go to play either the Titans or the Bengals and just beat them 
up the same way Buffalo beat up the Patriots today and the way the Bengals shoulda, coulda, woulda beat up the Raiders today because the Chiefs and Bills are the two best teams in the AFC by far, and that's just because they have Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, who's basically Patrick Mahomes but does everything slightly worse. Still the best quarterback non-Lamar Jackson category, or third best quarterback in the AFC, and the Patriots did the best they could there. It's just their defense just, you know, the defense just fell apart for the Patriots because Buffalo is really freaking good. And the weaknesses of the Patriots, which was the cornerback room, and they were great at stopping the run, but their weakness on defense was stopping the pass this year, just got torched by a really, really good quarterback. There's no shame in that one. Patriots had a really strong season, and I don't, think it's going to be something they can build on because they only have so much cap space and so many players at their disposal and so many first round picks this year the only thing that's going to get the Patriots over the hump is a quarterback that's as good as Mac as Josh Allen and low upside offense is something that's going to come back to bite them because I don't think there's really a path upward for the Patriots other than giving up a ton of assets to get some sort of special player it could be a running back it could be a wide receiver it could be a quarterback but if not for that I don't think there's any path upward for the Patriots other than just keep developing Mac Jones and playing the long game with trying to have an offense that's not the 12th best in the playoffs or 12th out of 14 among playoff teams There's only so many spaces they can climb up when you're talking about teams and offenses that are led by Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, Lamar Jackson, I know they're not in the playoffs, but still, Jonathan Taylor, Derrick Henry, Um, you could go to Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, even Derek Carr to a certain extent. There's only so much they can do without having one of those players on their team. And so the Patriots did more with less this season. The fact that they were better than the Chargers, better, I mean, arguably better than the Bengals, had a better record than Baltimore, even though Baltimore would have been better had Lamar Jackson just stayed healthy. The fact that they were the fourth best team in the AFC this year, pretty freaking remarkable. It's a great, great season that the New England Patriots had by the standards of everyone in the NFL and not the standards of what they've done for the last 20 years. Because welcome to the new era of the Patriots. The Patriots the last three years have gone wildcard exit, missed playoffs, wildcard exit. That is an above average football team in the NFL. And that is what the New England Patriots, Bill Belichick, Josh McDaniels, the Patriot Way, Bob Kraft, and McCorkle Jones, they have become above average to average. No shame in that. Cleveland Browns went through a five-year tank. They have Miles Garrett and Nick Chubb and pro bowlers everywhere, and they're not even at above average the way the Patriots are at above average. No shame in that one. It's really, really hard to be really, really great for a really, really long time. Buffalo Bills are going to get it for like five years now, because of that quarterback and because of that wide receiver and because of those guys on defense, but more specifically because of that quarterback. And the Patriots had it for 20 years. It's the most remarkable run in the history of sports. And now the Patriots are only above average. And that's what they're probably going to be 
for the next two to three seasons unless they land a generational quarterback. And again, no shame in that. No shame in that. That is an incredibly remarkable victory with an incredibly remarkable coach. The Steelers have been trying for five years to get back to the place they were with the Killer Bees. You just can't do it without having one of those 10 special quarterbacks because those special quarterbacks, like we saw tonight, will destroy your low upside offense with 40 points. Might not be the Bills, might not be the Kansas City Chiefs. Again, one of the most remarkable runs I've ever seen in the history of watching sports was that Patriots team that beat the Chiefs one week and beat the Rams in the Super Bowl the next week. It was just remarkable, that Patriots team. So the Patriots do it better than most other teams, and if they had played the Bengals, if they had played the Titans, they probably would have won a playoff game this year. It just happened to be the luck of the draw. No shame. The Patriots are above average. That's pretty good by the standards of the NFL, but disappointing if you still believe in the magical standards of the last 20 years that the New England Patriots had with Tom Brady greatest quarterback winner ever, and Bill Belichick, smartest defensive mind in the history of the NFL. That perfect combination led to 20 years of magic for the Patriots, and it's probably not going to happen again, because unless they get another Tom Brady-type quarterback, which even if McCorkle Jones becomes one of those special type of quarterbacks, which he's not, by the way, he is still two, three, four years away from getting to that point. And by then, Josh Allen will only be more in his prime and the Buffalo Bills will still be a formidable team because they still have that quarterback for the next decade. So no shame in being above average for the New England Patriots. That is a great standard to have by NFL. By the, by the standards of the NFL, that is a great place to be. Maybe Aaron Rodgers will miraculously decide to come play for your team and you can go win championships. But in the meantime, being uh, two play- making two playoff appearances in three years with quarterback play that is average by NFL standards and having top 10 defenses in two of the three seasons, it's pretty damn good. It's pretty damn good considering how low upside and bad on paper that offense has been for the past three seasons. Well, that Raiders-Bengals game was fun, now wasn't it? Now, the Bengals dominated, like, all the way through the game, (laughs) and only at the end did Derek Carr do the Derek Carr thing, where he came came back from down 10 points to kick a field goal and then get the ball with two minutes, no timeouts, 85 yards to go, length of the field. And by the way, on the first play of Kirk Cousins' purgatory, as we like to call it. Derek Carr got a 15-yard completion and a 15-yard roughing the passer call, even if the roughing the passer call wasn't the right call. But the Raiders went right down the field after that, got it into plus territory with like 30 seconds left, and then got to run three plays at the goal line. It was just the Bengals played well on those last three plays. They just defended the Raiders' defense well in the short field and were willing to give up big plays in the middle of the field. Like, the Bengals just went into prevent defense, picked good play calls at the end, stopped the Raiders. I thought the Raiders were going to score and send the game to overtime. 
Bengals had great play calls. And the Bengals' defense, which again, the secondary's not that great for the Bengals. Linebacking core wasn't awesome for them. I know Logan Wilson's really, really good, but wasn't the, wasn't a perfect situation for the Bengals. Trey Hendrickson went out in the middle of that game. I think it was Larry Ogunjobi, I think, tore his Achilles or looked like he was tearing his Achilles uh, during one of the plays there. Uh, it was one of those not, yeah, carted off the field. They called it a leg, a foot injury, which means, I mean, I thought I was watching, I thought watching it, it was torn Achilles. I don't I mean, it's not great to speculate on that one, but it looked like he tore his Achilles. His season's going to be over. Trey Hendrickson left the game with, I think, a concussion. So it looked like it was falling apart for the Bengals. If they'd been playing a, a better team, maybe they lose because the Raiders would have scored points earlier in the game and not had that fumble strip that led to three more points for the Bengals. But Cincinnati's offense pretty much, I, again, the thing that also was the reason the Raiders lost and the reason why that Derek Carr drive wasn't for the, the game winner instead of the game tire Raiders defense was 17th in DVOA this year. Like the Raiders offense was the reason they kept winning these weird one possession games because Derek Carr has more comebacks than anyone else. And the pro football focus stat of big time throws, which is a real stat pro football focus has Derek Carr led the league in big time throws more than Aaron Rodgers, more than Tom Brady, more than Patrick Mahomes, more than Josh Allen. Derek Carr in clutch time was the clutchest quarterback throwing the ball down the field in end-of-game situations. And that offense was the reason they got close, and the defense was just not terrible. <laughs> it was basically the, the game plan for the Raiders this year, just be not terrible. They're 17th in the league in DVOA, and in the Chargers game and the Bengals game, the last two games of the season, they lost four offensive, or, sorry, four defensive starters to injuries in the middle of those games. So you're already taking the 17th ranked defense in the NFL and removing four starters from that defense. So the Raiders just ran out of players at the end. And Cincinnati has Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and T Higgins and Joe Mixon and one of the top 10 offenses in the NFL. And so to start the game, what did the Bengals do? Touched the ball five times, scored five times and took exactly what the Raiders defense gave them, which was we're going to deny the big plays and try and force field goals because our defense has no chance, not an effing chance of stopping the Cincinnati Bengals. And the Raiders went basically into prevent defense early on in the game and said, we're not going to let you take the big plays. We're just going to keep it close by you doing what you want. And it was like, Eight-yard play to Jamar Chase. Eight-yard play to Tyler Boyd. Eight-yard play to Jamar Chase. Six-yard run by Joe Mixon. Like, the Bengals scored on every single drive, but it wasn't like Buffalo just going berserk. The Bengals just went like, short play, short play, short play, short play. Kick field goal, score touchdown, kick field goal. And by the way, the strategy was working for the Raiders, which was let them move down the field. We're not going to allow the big play, and we're just going to drop safeties back to deny deep balls to chase and Higgins and Boyd and we're gonna and the Bengals said okay we're, we're we'll take what you give us we won't play that game because you're still letting us move down the field very easily because the Raiders again their defense was not good and the Bengals offense is good so sometimes you just work with the personnel that you have and play prevent defense and let Jamar Chase have t 10 catches for 83 yards or whatever it was for Jamar Chase today 
you you let him take the short plays over and over and over again to not allow the gigantic big play that sucks all the air out of the building. It's not a great strategy. Like there are there were no great options at that point, but they just did what they could to stay in the game. Jamar Chase, by the way, nine catches, 116 yards. He did have the one big play. So the Bengals took what they got. And by the way, the strategy was working for the Raiders early in the game because the Bengals kicked two field goals, scored a touchdown, and then should have kicked a field goal when the ref accidentally blew the whistle on the Tyler Boyd touchdown, and it was a blown call in that game. So that should have been a field goal too that makes it a three-point game instead of a seven-point game, and if that's the case, Derek Carr can kick a field goal force overtime. They still might lose in that situation anyways, but they still get to go to overtime against the Bengals if the right call is made on the accidental blown whistle. And then the Bengals fans' gripe is that the refs stole the game from then because there was no reason for the whistle to be blown, and everything is referees did this and referees did that, which is why after the Rams and Saints 27 or 2018 NFC Championship game, I said referees are not going to be explanation for results of games, in my opinion. If you get to a point where it's a toss-up anyways, one play can make the change in the game. Referees are going to make mistakes. It's going to happen. Bad calls and mistakes are just a part of the game. It's just something that's going to happen. It just gonna, it's not going to be a result becoming in uh, not allowed or a result being not real because I think a lot of this is more entertainment than athletic competition than people would like to admit. And so, yeah, the referees almost took a touchdown away from the Bengals and then made the wrong call to make the right call because they did something wrong before. It was interesting how all of that worked out in a game that ultimately ended up being closer than we all thought. Because this game, when played out, was exactly the game that we thought it was, which was the Raiders didn't belong in the playoffs not a not like a shot at the Raiders like that team was an embarrassment and we shouldn't have put them on television not like that it's like the Colts were better than the Raiders this year I know the Colts lost the end of the season game to the Raiders but that was just a fluke game where players had COVID for the Colts and the Raiders kick a game-winning field goal if if Hunter Renfro drops a pass or if the Colts guy tackles Renfro one pass before one step before they touch him down then the, the Colts win that game and the Colts make the playoffs. The Colts were better than the Raiders. The Chargers were as good as the Raiders. And the Ravens, when healthy, should have made the playoffs. The Raiders were like the, the eighth best team in the AFC or the ninth best team in the AFC this year. They just happened to get into the playoffs because of weird tiebreakers and winning weird one-possession games. And so the ninth best team played the fourth best team or the fifth best team or whatever you want to say the Bengals are and the Bengals won by seven points that and the Bengals took what the rate the defensive matchup the Raiders were under staffed defensively and didn't have as much talent Bengals strong suit was their offense Bengals scored on their first five possessions of the game and that was exactly the matchup that dictated such and it was a game that was super predictable until the very end when it stopped being predictable because the Bengals had a bunch of injuries on defense and Derek Carr started doing the Derek Carr thing where he almost scored 10 points in five minutes. And the Bengals almost did the Bengals thing where they choke away a playoff game. If the Raiders had been a slightly better, healthier team, 
maybe they beat the Cincinnati Bengals because the Cincinnati Bengals aren't super overwhelming. The Bengals will lose to either the Bills or the Chiefs if and when they play them in the AFC Championship game because now the Bengals play the goddamn Titans in the divisional round and one of those teams is going to make it to the AFC Championship game when in reality Buffalo should have been playing the Titans next week. Cincinnati should have been playing the Chiefs. The Chiefs should have beat Cincinnati by two touchdowns. Buffalo should have beat Tennessee by three touchdowns. And the Bills and Chiefs should have played in the AFC Championship game for the second year in a row. Because of the way that tiebreakers worked out, Cincinnati plays Tennessee, Buffalo plays Kansas City, and we'll get an AFC Championship game where, similarly to the Eastern Conference Finals last year in the NBA, where Milwaukee and Brooklyn was like the de facto NBA Finals, or at least Eastern Conference Finals. You then got the Hawks playing Milwaukee. And, or, or sorry, yeah, you got the Hawks against Milwaukee, and the Hawks had no chance of winning the series. And wh- whoever wins Bengals and Titans is going to have no real chance of beating the Chiefs or Bills, apart from like the Chiefs or Bills doing a bunch of catastrophic mistakes, Titans would have no chance, but the the Bengals would have a better chance. Bengals would have a better chance of beating the Chiefs or the Bills because, again, high upside offense. If you have a high upside offense, you can generally compete with anyone, especially when you're playing teams that don't have good defenses like the Kansas City Chiefs or the Tennessee Titans, but the Tennessee Titans have a low upside offense also, unless 60% healthy Derrick Henry comes back to play, and it changes the math a little bit, but doesn't change the math all the way, because again, Ryan Tannehill, in his last three playoff games, has thrown under 300 passing yards combined. In those three games, he has thrown under 300 passing yards in his last three playoff games. That is a goddamn low upside offense, if I have ever heard one. Similarly to what we just talked about with Mac Jones and the New England Patriots, it's why I was saying that the the Tennessee Titans are probably the sixth best team in the AFC right now. I know Mac Jones ended up with like 200 passing yards at the end because they had a couple garbage time touchdowns, but yeah, it was fun. It's fun to go through that. Raiders defense had so much. There were two plays. This is my final thought here from the wild card Saturday. Um, there were two moments where all of my analysis for the season felt reaffirmed watching the playoff game. And one of the things that we talked about last week with the Flores firing and talking about the Raiders and the Chargers and all of the stuff that ended up being the end of the season and what I'd been saying for the whole year of don't buy that the Chiefs are not playing well and the Cowboys can be really good and all of this stuff, that all the analysis we were doing for the entire season, which is, in order to get to the elite level, 90% of the time, you have to have one of the elite 10 quarterbacks in the NFL. If you don't have one of the 10 elite, really like elevate the game quarterbacks in the NFL, then you and your team are not going to make it to a conference championship or be an elite top four team. And Joe Burrow, on that play where... They blow the whistle, but don't call the touchdown back. And the play right after that where he, or it was on the next drive, where he rolls to his right and buys a ton of time and then hits Tyler Boyd 20 yards down the field. He did it on that touchdown, and he did it again later on on the next drive. And then I'm watching the Patriots and Bills game 
And on that first drive of the game, when they go up 7-0, Josh Allen rolls to his right, which is, again, one of the most scary things you can find in the NFL. Now that Patrick Mahomes looks less athletic than he did two, three years ago, Josh Allen rolling to his right is goddamn scary. Rolling to his right, Josh Allen it, it, we see it a lot with quarterbacks like Goff and Stafford and Matt Ryan and even Josh Allen to a certain extent. And Patrick Mahomes does this too. He's rolling right, rolling right, and he throws a ball to the back of the end zone and Dawson Knox catches it for a touchdown. And it's a play that was basically just done. Like they, he was going to throw the ball out the back of the end zone or he was going to throw it out of bounds or he was going to step out of bounds And he did the Mahomes thing where he keeps the play alive and hit Dawson Knox in a place only Dawson Knox can catch it. The same way that Dawson Knox is in no means this type of guy, but Dawson Knox is also a really gigantic polar bear that they train to catch footballs the same way Travis Kelsey and Rob Gronkowski did it for years with the Patriots. By the way, Dawson Knox, six foot four, two hundred and twenty-five pounds. So yeah, Dawson Knox as big physically as the Travis Kelsey's and as the as Travis Kelsey six five two sixty. So as big as Travis Kelsey and as big as Rob Gronkowski. Gronk being six six. And Dawson Knox catching that touchdown reminds me Mac Jones can't do that. Other teams can't bank on that. And that's a way you add points on the scoreboard like that. And so I watched that and I felt reaffirmed that the strongest sign of how teams are going to succeed in small sample sizes is having those Mahomes-esque quarterbacks, is having Joe Burrow who can do special things throwing the football and buying time, doing things other quarterbacks can't, elevating players around him. Josh Allen's making Dawson Knox look like a pro bowler the same way Aaron Rodgers made Robert Tunyon a pro bowler last year. And that elevating of players around them is why the Buffalo Bills were always the second best team in the AFC. Going back to the offseason, we talked about it. Like I said, when we were doing our preseason previews with Blake Jude, I said, best team, Buffalo Bills, to take down the Chiefs. And he agreed with me. Chiefs are number one, Buffalo's number two. I said the Ravens were number three because of Lamar Jackson, can do special things. Josh Allen, we saw it against the Patriots on special moments and plays just like we saw it last year with Josh Allen. He, that dude is so good at quarterback, and just because he's not as good as Mahomes doesn't mean he's not still a ridiculously special player. And so Josh Allen, Joe Burrow reaffirmed to me the analysis that I'd been saying all season and all, I mean, again, over broad sample sizes, which is quarterback position is the thing that's going to separate these teams. Having those special type of guys will filter you to the top when push comes to shove. And when push comes to shove is the only real month that matters in the NFL, which is this month of win-or-go-home, one-game sample size matchups. And even then, you're going to get a garbage Cincinnati and Tennessee. Not that it's not a garbage game. It's just that that matchup shouldn't exist in the divisional round when the Bills have to play the Chiefs 
or when the Patriots have to play the Bills in the wild card, and both those teams should be playing in the divisional round, because again, I think the Patriots would have beat Cincinnati if they had played today, even low upside offense and everything, like give Belichick being the special coach, smartest defensive mind in the NFL, even with the defensive woes, I think the Patriots would have had a chance to beat the Cincinnati Bengals, and that makes uh, the quarterback position is the thing that will ultimately filter to the top and enjoy the AFC championship next week because whoever wins the Bills and Chiefs game is going to the Super Bowl and it's going to be such a fun game to watch because I think Buffalo is better than Kansas City Buffalo is hitting on all cylinders at the right time and those special quarterbacks are the ones who are going to filter to the top. And also, goddamn Ryan Tannehill, who might make the AFC Championship game twice in three years because he's just giving the ultimate FU to everyone in the sport, but also has the greatest running back that we've ever seen in 20 years. I mean, in my lifetime, greatest running back I've ever seen, <laughs> other than maybe those two years of Todd Gurley that also got the Rams to a Super Bowl. Like, only Ryan Tannehill with the greatest running back I've ever seen can get that close as well. So yeah, maybe the Titans will just give me an FU and end up in the AFC championship game and lose by 28 points to either the Chiefs or the Bills. Whatever. The Titans have done it two of the last three years. I love the anarchy in sports of the Titans just being like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> we'll we'll show up anyways. Titans have a special player too. It just happens to be the rare special running back instead of the special quarterback. So anyways, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in to Wired Up. I hope you enjoyed NFL wildcard Saturday, I guess. It's a fun two games. AFC playoff pictures basically set because we know the Chiefs are going to dominate the Steelers. That's another thing. I don't know the result of the Steelers-Chiefs game, but I know the Chiefs are going to win, so we can already talk about Bills and Chiefs in the AFC championship game and me saying that Buffalo is better than Kansas City which is, again, I'm the Mahomes guy. I'm cradling my Mahomes jersey as I say it, and maybe also emotionally hedging. But yeah, Buffalo Buffalo's better than Kansas City. Buffalo's going to go to the Super Bowl this year, and it's going to be really fun to watch the next two weeks. And it'd be fun to watch them play. If the Bengals do beat the Titans, which I assume the Bengals will be, if not favored, like pretty close to even against the Titans, if Cincinnati does win and Buffalo gets to have a home AFC championship game, that's going to be super duper special when they get to have that Super Bowl moment after not making the playoffs for 17 years and happening to exist at the same time as the Patriots. It'll be super cool if Buffalo does get that moment. And if not, Kansas City, five straight or four straight AFC championships, uh, greatest dynastic team, a, a non-Patriots category we've ever seen because Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid are Belichick and Tom Brady, and they're going to run the AFC for the next 10 years. Even if they don't get to the Super Bowl this year, they'll get back to many, many more Super Bowls. It's, it's really interesting. Anyways, thanks for stopping in, everybody. We'll have more time to dissect this all throughout next week. NFL Monday podcast coming out. Uh, also, Memes of the Weekend bonus podcast with Walter Mitchell you can check out from yesterday. Uh, we also had Friday's episode talking about David Cully. Uh, we had Morgan from Australia last week. So many good podcasts that y'all should check out from last week. And if you want some gambling advice for for the rest of the games this weekend, Razor Rosenthal has you from Thursday's podcast. Uh, that's all the plugging I have here. 
Thanks for stopping in, everybody. And as always, take it easy. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. This has been Wired Up, episode 102, where we declared once and for all, the Buffalo Bills are going to the Super Bowl. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.